Cricket isn't direct hit runouts and one-handed screamers. It's fielding a deep mid-wicket and hoping your part-time leg spinner gets hit for such a big six that you have to jump over the fence and chase it down a street and possibly never come back. Cricket isn't outright wins and team songs. It's being stuck next to a newborn child bawling relentlessly on a 10-hour flight and thinking, that's half the time I spent crying after being dismissed LBW in a fourth-grade semi in 2003 and half the intensity. Cricket isn't diligently shining the ball at mid-off and working hard in the field for a breakthrough. It's tampering the ball when the umpire's not looking, scratching it on concrete, biting the seam, applying a range of viscous substances which include but are not limited to Vaseline, lip balm, hair gel, virgin olive oil, low-fat balsamic salad dressing, dipping in and metho during the tea interval, because you know this 250-run second-wicket partnership won't be broken through tight bowling and sustained pressure in the field, but by altering the fundamental properties of the ball. The great cricketer is a Twitter stream. It's about playing cricket at the grade level. It's a tough, mean, dirty, dirty business being a great cricketer. A lot of cricketers, you know, that's all they know. They've mm. done it since they're 10 and they have a deep-seated fear of change. But the great cricket is all about being the most alpha version of yourself as possible at all costs and at all times. I don't bat or bowl. I just feel the gully, count the number of dot balls in a row, sledge 15 yards, make me feel better about myself. Thanks, Thanks champ. champ. Oh, no, you called me champ. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Great Cricketer Podcast on Fox Sports. My name is Ian Higgins. I'm joined by Sam Perry and Dave Edwards. A massive show. Rob Quiney joining us today. He's going to give us uh, a ball-by-ball count of his career. Bobby. Faf de Plessis, ball-tampering charge. The preview of the third and final test. A review of England versus India in the second test. Brian Lara is playing club cricket in Newcastle and we'll be reading your tweets and questions. Boys, welcome. He goes, thanks for the welcome. A controversial week in cricket. You know, one dominated by... Social issues, morality issues, not so much cricket itself. We had a new side selected, but let's not talk about that at all. At it all. Let's just talk about South Africans cheating, yeah. evidently. So let's yeah. kick off with Faf. Mm. Breach with a, a level two, uh, what, con- contravention of the ICC Code of Conduct? Yeah, it was the old level two, Pez. Yeah. The old level two. He's been fined 100% of his match fee. Three penalty points have also been added to Duplessis' disciplinary record, mm. which, of course, we know all about. Um, but he was cheating because mm. he was putting lolly saliva on the ball. Well, hasn't this little scandal just neatly deflected from our systemic <laughs> on-field issues? It's been yeah. a wonderful godsend for the Australian cricket team. As you mm. said, there's no shortage of news this week. Mm. <laughs> We've selected <laughs> six new players for the squad. I think three will make their debut mm. uh, today. Mm. Uh, so, look, I mean, but ball tampering, but really. Ball tampering. We, mm. well, am, I right, am I right in assuming that we've all done it? I mean, I've done it twice today already. <laughs> Everyone's done it. It's just a thing, isn't it? Literally everyone's done it. And the fact that people are jumping to the conclusions that um, lolly saliva equals losing by an innings and five million runs Mm. is astonishing to me because um, we've just been outplayed in every capacity. Mm. We, the Australian cricket team, have Mm. been outplayed in every capacity and um, everyone's doing it. So, yeah. I mean, he used the mint to generate saliva. Right. I I understand he didn't put the mint on the ball. (laughs) No. So how is this not just a naturally occurring... It's kind of like, you know, it's, it's a bit like taking Viagra <laughs> to enhance your performance. Here you know, like Hugh Hefner. I mean, yeah. Terrible at reverse swing, but can go absolutely all night for a 96-year-old. Mm. It's, it's a really great story. I think people are fascinated with it. I mean, we literally have four new debutants. is it, for the side? Four debutants? Uh, side three, three will debut and two will come back in the side. Mm. Right. Uh, mm. So that would ordinarily be the big story, but it, mm. it, it's not. It's uh, the dark arts of ball tampering. Mm. Yeah. Um, there's always someone in, in a cricket team who likes to ball tamper, though, isn't there? Like, mm. I'm sure there's some correlation between criminal deviance in mm. someone's personality and ball tampering. Someone's it's got a sociopath a th- test, I think. That's right, <laughs> of cricket. Yeah. Uh, someone's always got a theory about having it in a freezer for six months or yeah. something like that. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, so yeah. You can apply this and this yeah. will happen. It's very kind of voodoo-esque mm. uh, yeah. you know, in, in the way it kind of plays out. Living in a bowl of methylated spirits over <laughs> for the whole entire off-season so you can come to your first net session and dominate with a two-pencil. It's kind of everything about it is just like no one knows about, no one knows about swing and reverse mm. swing. Everyone's got their own theories of a dry shine, don't put any saliva on the ball. Sweat is different to saliva, different uh, different textures and different weights of saliva and water on the ball. As you say, one of my um, first captains used to put the ball, a new ball, in a freezer overnight. Mm. I, t- I tell you right now, I did absolutely nothing <laughs> except maybe made the ball harder and therefore the ball fly off the bat a bit better um, because that season we chased 400 a lot. Um, yep. You know, lip balm mm. on the ball, um, you know, a bit, bit of tiger balm as well, sunscreen, anything, but no one really knows when it swings. I was of that opinion as well, but then I did a little bit of research oh, yeah. on the physics behind reverse swing, and it actually goes back to the to the 1700s. There was a Swiss physicist called 
Daniel uh, Bernoulli, oh, who developed say. the principle, was... Bernoulli's principle, as we all know about. <laughs> yes. 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 It's obvious stuff. Yeah. Yes. Um, say it anyway. Well, basically, <laughs> Bernoulli's principle, just in short, can be used kind of just to explain how an aeroplane can lift off because of the curved shape of its wings. Oh, it's kind yeah. of the way that the air flows yeah. over the wing. Mm. Thank you. So, you know, it it's also goes some way to explain reverse swing, basically. Sure. I mean, the faster the air flows across the ball, the less pressure it exerts. Mm. As you've always said. Um, there's actually a chapter in, in Bernoulli's book, Hydrodynamics, which talks specifically about how lollies can assist getting the ball to go Irish. <laughs> Um, which surprised me, that 1738 publication. Oh, I'm, I'm glad that there is some science behind it, or that, sorry, you've reminded me of the science we all know behind it, because there is, isn't it also not proven that clouds make the ball swing either? I mean, we all believe that. It feels like a gypsy voodoo practice. Like, I still come back to the personality traits of the person who is very, very concerned or like, paranoid about reverse swing. Like, it, yeah. it's the same sort of person that yeah. believes in the effect of wipe on sex appeal. You know, <laughs> pheromones, yeah. yeah. The pheromones behind it. That does I actually mean, work, though, to be fair. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Look, I mean, the ICC needs to be a bit more clear about this. I think they need to rewrite their rule book on it because they're, they're kind of saying that the, there's no artificial substance can be used on the ball. That, that's mm. what they're saying there. Mm. You know, you can use sweat, earwax, semen. You can literally <laughs> use anything, and that's Naturally fine. occurring substances. <laughs> Not a problem. Naturally occurring substances, exactly. Mm. But this footage that we've seen has stoked a visceral anger in all of us. We've seen Duplessis, grainy footage, you know, <laughs> coming off grainy. the airport. Doesn't, isn't there anything like a bit of grainy footage yeah. to the kind the of whip up? Absolutely. Mm. I mean, I, I, I don't know how you how you guys are taking this. I mean, is it really that serious an issue? He, as you say, he's it's on his record now. It's on his mm. cricket mm. Cr criminal record. Well, <laughs> ball tampering twice. He'll never get another job. Just <laughs> to be serious, I think the South Africans are having a wonderful time laughing, oh, laughing it up. And the Australians are very, very quiet about it, uh, mm. and rightly so. I mean, I think it's akin to the performance-enhancing drugs conversation around the, the Olympics. Right. I mean, at some stage during the Olympics, someone will say, why don't we just make it a free-for-all? Everybody's oh, yeah. on something anyway. Everyone's always yeah. doing something, so let's just let it go. And the same yeah. with ball tampering. So, so what if it was just a free-for-all? Mm. Put rubber bands on the ball, you know, put masking tape around it, sandpaper <laughs> the ball. I want to field. see the ball just do the biggest parabola in the air possible, just like I want to see someone run the 100 metres in seven seconds. Yeah. I just want to see that yeah. superhuman stuff. Like Literally I... attach some mechanical device to it just to send it out to the boundary <laughs> and back in. You yeah. must hit it. If I'm ever going to be uh, if I'm going to be alive long enough to see a man climb the Pyrenees in 45 minutes in the Tour de France, yes. then I need this to happen immediately. I just I just kind of wonder, like, I mean, how easy does batting need to get in Test cricket, mm. that says the bloke who's never played Test cricket. Mm. Um, but, you know, it's just like it seems like the wickets yeah. are flat out. They're making the ball just like do less and less. The bats are enormous. We've heard this conversation before. But now you're not allowed to make it swing because it, it's hard to hit when it swings. So that, that's cheating. You can't do that anymore. I just, I just wonder like how easy does batting need to get in certain circumstances? I think they should make. I think, I think it's okay. I think duplicity is okay. I think it's a disgrace, and you should never be able to touch the ball. And now South Africa's <laughs> results are null and void. We win. Yep. We win the whole <laughs> we thing. Win. We win. We win. We did it. We win. But, but Faf really has won because yep. we saw this footage from Channel 9 mm, uh, a couple of days ago. Where that wasn't grainy. No, no not at all. That was clear in, in HD. Full HD. <laughs> 9 HD. Mm. Mm. <laughs> On your OLED. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's right. The blacks were really black. In it. <laughs> yeah, they were. Blacks of the screen. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> blacks of the screen. <laughs> To be clear. Uh, but obviously the security guard was looking at, South African security guard was looking mm. after FAF when a Channel 9 reporter came mm. in. Uh, you know, there's been all sorts of hot takes on what <laughs> yeah, happened yeah. here. What were your guys' hot takes? <laughs> well, it was an three, days, three days after it happened. It was an unidentified object that the that the reporter lunged with him at, and um, to the naked eye, it did appear just like much like a microphone. But it, I mean, it's really too easy, too too early to say until there's a full diagnosis uh, and an uh, Argus review. I mean, I watched the video today. You asked me to, Pez, uh, and, and I did so. Dropped you a text. Look, yeah. look. I have to say that the journalist was definitely trying to instigate something here. It, it really seemed kind of like you know when you're outside Scruffy Murphy's. <laughs> at 3am and there's a bloke who's just trying to get in and he's just the bouncer's going no mate look no go, go walk around the block you know come back in 30 not or no come shoes. back again mm. no mate not their shoes you know not good enough <laughs> yeah. you've had a few have not another shoes. walk and he just won't give up and that's what this journalist was. He was just the bloke who wants desperately to get into the lower floor of Scuffy Murphy's, even though he's had 13 pints and should just go home. Mm. 
I love how the conversation is just really binary, though. Like, you must be on one side or the other. Mm-hmm. Who was the goody? Who was the baddie? Was yeah. 9 okay? Was South Africa out of line? Yeah. It is possible for both groups to be dickheads. Really? Basically. <laughs> Grey areas in cricket? Yeah. <laughs> or life? Or with men? I mean... Yeah, look, look, Channel 9's got form, don't they? I mean, this is the network that brought you a current affair and doorstops with dodgy tradies. I mean, I think Jeff Lemon uh, wrote a, a very apt article about yes. it. Channel 9 being the rights holder to the cricket and kind of, and they have obviously as much media accreditation as you can ask for. Mm. Why don't they just go through the, the proper channels for that interview? And it, it was very obvious that Duplessis wasn't going to be forthcoming there. And, and really, what, what are you going to get out of that situation anyway? Mm-hmm. There was there was a moment when the and I encourage our international listeners who perhaps haven't seen the footage to jump on the old YouTubes and uh, and, and see the footage. But there's a moment when the security guard presses um, the journalist into the glass <laughs> into the glass wall, and you can if you freeze frame it. Pez and I were talking about this before, but you can see the moment when he just realised that he's been absolutely outfitted <laughs> by a superior male. That's right. It's just pause and his face is yeah. really kind of solemn. And, it's and I think sad. Because up until then he was yeah. doing his job. He was being professional. And yeah. no yeah. doubt when he went back to the studio, mm. there was yahoos all around Channel 9. Yeah. Verve, Kuklo, Sir mm. Kuklo, et cetera. Um, but for that moment, it was sort of like, yeah. Dad, this is what I do. Yeah. <laughs> it's like when Bart Simpson's watching Ralph Wiggin at yeah. the... At the, at the <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is the let's moment where... Mar- no, let's keep this. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm really articulate at this point yeah. in time. <laughs> anyway, nothing else is happening in cricket other than that. No, uh, there is a test match. There's start, a test match. Starting, uh, well, I guess it's tomorrow from when we're recording today, yeah. if you're listening to it. Yep. And Australia have mm. three debutants, definitely. Mm. They've revamped half the batting order. Mm. Um, it's a day-night test in Adelaide. There's There's been lots of conjecture mm. uh, over this test match. Mm. Is it good promotion, bad promotion? Do we care? Well, if only it meant anything, Pez. I mean, that's the thing. I mean, it's the old dead rubber syndrome. But, you know, but I get to watch it when I come home from work. Um, yeah. And I can, you know, just catch the highlights at 10.30 because I'll be watching, you know, Suits. Um, but uh, so I'm just, I'm just going, like, I mean, it's shock. It is shocking, isn't it? It's shocking that there's this many debutantes. They've just revamped the whole side. A lot of people feeling sorry for certain people who have been left out after one test match, Ferguson yeah. and many, of course. But, um, I mean, for me, he goes, I mean, I know that, the Australian team has all these new players, but to me, it's kind of unrecognisable having so many new faces at once. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like how ACDC is still technically ACDC, but mm. but Angus Young is the only member still in that band. So, yeah. are they really ACDCs? Mm. And I think the Australian public struggles to compute so many new faces at once. Mm. And you know, historically, one player comes into the team, he gets his bag of green. It's a it's a whole production. Mm. You know, the media is focused sternly on this player for the days leading up. Now there's too many mm. new faces. Mm. I don't know what to make of it. it well, what, do, what do you guys? Well, think? I mean, I think that's part of Australia's problem with you know the boats coming in immigration. There's yep. so many new faces mm. that we don't know <laughs> we don't know what to do with it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> A lot, a lot can happen. You know, the the, the lead up to this, the all the storylines that have happened over the past two weeks. It's just leading to well, what is it leading to? What will happen over the next two, three, four days? However long this test actually goes for. I think there's some dire times ahead for the Australian cricket team when you consider that they have to face a South African team probably on a tough wicket so that it preserves the. Uh, the pink ball that needs to be preserved for, for Test Match At Cricket to survive yes. as a format. It's the saviour uh, of cricket. We then have the Pakistanis who are number one in the world coming out mm. to our shores. And then that's and aren't they just flying under the radar? <laughs> no one's talking about them. They're looming large on the horizon, like the boats that you mentioned before. <laughs> and they're on their way. And, you know, what's going to happen when they get here? Well... <laughs> What do we do when we don't know what's going to happen when someone arrives? We just don't know. Well, Stop. We cannot be certain. That's all I'll say. It's a fear of change. It's yeah, a fear of yeah. change. So ultimately, what it comes down to, a deep-seated yeah. fear of change. It must be deep-seated at <laughs> must, all times. It must be deep-seated And then we, have, then we have India. We go over to India, yeah. uh, who just absolutely demolished England in the second test. Mm. If anybody caught the final day of that second test, mm. uh, you would hold, right. hold actual... actual and uh, legitimate grave fears for Australian <laughs> cricket, mm. as opposed to the fears that are confected when people come to our shores. There's something about England which have, I mean, the way they approach their cricket, especially in India, is like that the test match actually goes for five days, and Australia at all costs <laughs> are still trying to win test matches in about two and a half days, yeah. and, they, and they play like that in India. And India's you've got to push the game forward. Well, that's true. Is that just stemming from the grade level? Like, I've got to get out of here by 3.30 <laughs> as we go to Percy's for beers. 
Is that just carrying over into the test arena? Uh, yes. It's just got to get away early, boys. Yes, I think it is. I mean, but of course, England had their own problems in that second test match. They lost sort of two clusters of wickets, of four lots of wickets in the space of like 45 minutes on two occasions. Mm. Ultimately lost eight for 66 on day five mm. after quite a promising finish to day four. They were chasing four million, so it was kind of always out of reach. But, um, mm. but, uh, but, but batting collapses do seem to be the order of the day at the moment across all formats in, in, in cricket. Yeah, I think you're right. 2016 is the year of the batting collapse. There's no doubt about it. And you've just mentioned some of the teams that have suffered them this year. Is it kind of like you know how we're living in a post-truth world? You know, with with Trump and Brexit and all yeah. these all these news articles appearing on Facebook that aren't actually real. Is the batting collapse? You know, is this the new de rigueur? Well, runs aren't real. Runs es- aren't real. Es- essentially, yeah. So there's something so about India at home, right? India at home is uh, a scary place for, for many reasons because it's not our home and therefore mm. we don't know what to do when we get there. We don't know where we put the kits. Parking's a situation. Yeah. What's the fastest way? Google Maps gets lost. We, all, we, know, we know this. But India now haven't lost a test in 16 tests. That's four years of cricket that they've yep. played there. They've won 13 of those matches and drawn three. Coley uh, hit 167 in the first innings, hit, hit 80 in the second innings. He's just a great player. Um, India at home, how do you ever beat them? Uh, for We are collapsing at our own home yes. at the moment. Mm. I'm really scared <laughs> yeah. about what is going to happen to us in India. I mean, yeah. I think about somebody like Curtis Patterson, who was unfortunate in many ways to miss out on this Australian side, given his performances in relation to others. Yeah. But there might be a part of him, you know, at a young age, who thinks where he thinks might just miss that tour of India, which <laughs> yeah. would be good for my yeah. career. Yeah. I mean, I'm currently reading Mitchell. It's Johnson's like not book. taking the first job that you get once you graduate because yeah. it's not the best offer, and just hanging out for that offer from Google. There are <laughs> pl- players out there do like missing matches where mm. they get pumped. Mm. Uh, I mean. How India well, must weigh on the mind of Australia's batsmen just to watch England the guys, that last day. I mean, the guys that go there are going to have to learn how to bat ugly, aren't they? I mean, in a, yeah. and in a world and in a world defined by aesthetics, mm. uh, are we are our batsmen capable or even willing to bat ugly? No, well, it's, it's impossible. Well, it's scary because I mean, half the team is picked on aesthetics. Um, yeah. uh, you know, we've obviously spoken in progress ah, about, about 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 <laughs> <laughs> about rig based selections. Um, Peter Hanscom has um, been uh, touted amongst people who watch Shield cricket, so the four people who watch Shield cricket, he's been touted as the best player of spin in Australia. So perhaps, um, you know, he plays the Pakistan series as well. You'd have to suggest that these young guys are going to get more than a match, which, again, probably is really harsh on Ferguson and many, given that they also just had one match. But um, but you think the Hanscom is probably going to go to India. He's going to get a good test out against Shah, Pakistan, who's already taken 40 wickets this year in 2016. Um, so I think he's maybe a, an option to go to India and do well, but it's still so hard. Well, I just think India can really make you as a cricketer. I mean, Dean Jones mm. went to India and made 200 at Madras, and then, oh, Mo, then Mo Matthews said that it was just <laughs> runs on an absolute road. <laughs> <laughs> get over it. Yeah. Get over I, know, it. I mean, get there was it. some real polarity between the way both of them spoke about that inning. Jones says he's still recovering from yeah. it from 1986. He still yeah. has the bodily feeling. I mean, the chances of Australia doing well in India mm. is is about the same chance as Hillary Clinton of assuming the White House because they're still counting the votes. And there's still things <laughs> coming through on Facebook <laughs> saying that she might be able to overthrow it with strange little electoral college. Right. Uh, Al Gore rules. can win again. Yeah, yeah that's right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, th- this this series, it's a five-test series, uh, England versus India, and it does seem quite fascinating. I mean, England played really well in the first test yes. and held out for a draw. I'm, I'm just not convinced that anyone can play for a draw in Australian cricket, given now that Peter Neville has, has, has been dropped. Um, I, I, it's, it is scary. But, um, but there's something about that series which does seem fascinating. And England, in my opinion, from what I've seen so far, aren't that far away from, from knocking off India, even though they've you know, not lost in 16 tests in four years. So it'll be an interesting series to see how that pans out. Well, they have batsmen that can bat in different styles True. with different gears. If True. you mind me being earnest for a second, they have different ways short, of though. playing. Yes, <laughs> as is. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, it's, hard, it, it's, it's said through gritted teeth, but they have multiple methods, whereas we don't. And I'm just, again, to reiterate, very scared about what's going to happen in India. I'm generally away during the winter, so I have the entire summer to spend at home watching cartoons with the kids. And I really love my OLED TV. Like, really, really love it. One of the things I look forward to most when I come home is actually to be able to sit down on the couch in front of my OLED TV and just say the word OLED repeatedly. I really like saying the word OLED. I'd never heard it before, this paid commercial. 
but I enjoy the way it rolls off my tongue, like some kind of exotic Spanish word. Oled, Oled, Oled. <laughs> it drives my wife nuts, but, but the kids love it. And I... LG OLED TV. OLED. You'll hear it a thousand times this summer. So go on, try saying it a thousand times too. Well, boys, the person that we've got on the show today, well, actually, you've already said at the top of the show, he goes, it's Rob Quiney, mm. just carries a reputation of being one of the great people of cricket. As we spoke to Ed Cowan a couple of weeks ago, we asked him after the show, who's one person we should get on the show? And, and Bobby, if he doesn't mind us calling him that, even though we don't know him, um, <laughs> was the guy that he said. So it's, it's with great pleasure that we introduce St Kilda cricketer, Victorian cricketer, Australian cricketer, Bobby Quiney. Welcome to the show, Bobby. Thanks for having me, boys. It's, uh, it's, a, it's a big privilege to be on this show. The privilege is all ours, Bobby, and I guess uh, this <laughs> is... All it's all ours. Uh, it's <laughs> Every all, single it's bit all of it. about us. But uh, you are on the Grey Cricketer podcast, and the first question we kind of do to open you up is really just to ask about what is your relationship to grade cricket? Um, my relationship to grade cricket at the moment is more than I'd like. Um, <laughs> I'd like to be playing Victoria, but um, I'm, you know... Captain at St Kilda at the moment and, and enjoying it and um, um, yeah, just obviously trying to battle through um, some differences of surfaces and, and wickets that you don't quite get at, uh, at the MCG or or the Wacker, um, but uh, but also enjoying it as well coming to the to the back end of my career, um, but also enjoying it's probably not great for my weight. There's one of the boys in the team. His um his missus cooks up these chocolate chip cookies every weekend, <laughs> and they're unbelievable. Yeah. They're, they're actually they're actually chocolate chip chocolate chips with a little bit of cookie in them. So, so um, Bob, it's not your fault for eating them; it's her <laughs> fault for making no, them. No, yeah. no, no. Well, especially when they're all gone before lunch. So yeah. you're having them in the morning, and it's ridiculous. I, I love that the the first question about grey cricket has a two pronged answer. One is that you don't want to be there, and two that it's bad for your rig. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe there's the link. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You mentioned uh, surfaces before, Bobby. Uh, some of the listeners out there, in fact, a lot of them, will have been familiar with a story that popped up a couple of weeks ago about a cricket pitch that was too long. Uh, and it was kind of a point of um, amusement for a lot of people all, all through internet land. Everything good happens on the internet. Uh, <laughs> you, you actually have a close relationship to that story. Can you tell us about what happened there? Yeah, yeah, we we rocked out and um, and obviously had to, had to play the game and um, it was the first game that I'd played at, at that ground, at our new home ground, the Harry Trot, um, South Melbourne's old ground, and went out there and and thought, okay, it looks pretty sort of flattish, um, but it's always been renowned to be a slow wicket. Um, so when the, you know wicket fell, I, I went out to bat and and obviously felt like oh I must be seeing the ball okay because these bowlers feel really slow at the moment. <laughs> so I, I batted a, a good sort of metre and a half, two metres outside of my crease, um, and then got short. Obviously again. playing play, playing still too early to the ball. I was there too early. Um, so I walked off thinking oh, you know I've got to get ready to adjust to these pitches. I'm going to play a few more games here and um, yeah. So have you, and then and then as um, like no one really said anything in the interim. Um, James Muir had come on to bowl, um, and he's, he's obviously bowling a, a lot better nowadays. But um, I think the first or second ball he bowled was a drag down, um, short pitch, bang out to deep cover for one. And he goes, "Do you think it's like a really long pitch?" I go, "No, okay." And I'm thinking, "Here he goes." He's, you know, blaming the pitch and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Is this pitch regulation size? Yeah. yeah, it's always the pitcher's fault. Yeah. Um, <laughs> End of the game, um, the boys had come in. They said, "Oh, the pitch is too long." I said, "Oh, yeah, no, good one." I said, "No, nah, seriously, the umpires went and measured it, um, and it was eight foot too long." <laughs> what, what it turned out? Well, lucky I was concentrating because obviously didn't notice. But um, what it turned out, they that all I'm guessing they'd measured where the pop increase is and went work backwards as opposed to working forwards um, and marking the second crease. So, um, and even the keeper come up and he goes, "Yeah, you know what." It just felt weird. Like there was just bits of grass. You knew there's just turf around me, and like, I, it was just grass under me. I, I didn't even realise. So, <laughs> the boys who obviously weren't switched on that day, and, and myself included. But um, yeah, I, I think it happened at Paran Cricket Club the year before as well, and and someone picked it up in about the, the fourth or fifth over. So um, they're, they're probably a bit sharper down yeah, at Paran. A lot sharper <laughs> down there. Yeah. 
Well, Bobby, you've sort of come full circle in your career. I mean, you, you're sort of back playing great cricket for, for, the, for the time being anyway. Um, and yep. obviously you've reached the heights of international cricket as well. But in between there, there's been a fantastic first-class career. I'm just looking at your stats here. There's 5,500 first-class runs. You've got 1,100s in there. But it all started back in 2005 when you got the call-up against the World Eleven um, there at the Junction Oval. And you're facing Akhtar, Sean Pollock, Murley, Dan Vittori and um, Kyrantini. Um, that must have been quite a baptism of fire for your very first match. Is that word for word from the um, Chris and So thing? <laughs> Did you write it? <laughs> um, yeah, it was. It was a bit of a baptism of fire. Um, it was. It was. It was nerve wracking. That's for sure. Um, playing at my home ground, uh, my family were there, and and that was easily the biggest crowd I'd, I'd played in front of. And then that was, you know, let alone playing against those names you just reeled off then, plus more with the batters. Um, so that, it was actually it was it was awesome. Um, you know, I went out there. I only got to face Murley when I only Murley and Vittori. I was only out there for like three overs, but um, one of the umpires gave me out. Jack Ellis threw the stumps down from the boundary, um, and I swear I made it. I think I only made seven at the time, but I swear I was home. And he and I think he uh, didn't want to let the crowd down. And you know, yeah, Jack Ellis pull a trigger from the boundary. <laughs> Well, it's probably caught up in the ball. Ball. <laughs> Yeah, correct. Yeah, it was a long yeah, pitch, it was, yeah. He'd yeah. probably been out of the action for half an hour, so he wanted to get back involved as well. And um, and there was out. It was, it was all over pretty quickly, just like my test career, really. But um, it was it was good. It was a good experience just to get out there. It was something I'd, I never thought I'd, I'd achieve. Um, and, and to get out there and taste uh, some, some cricket and close to international cricket. Speaking of international cricket, Bobby, uh, a, a long-time teammate of yours, and uh, I presume... Good mate, Pete Hanscom is is about to make his debut for Australia. Um, could you give any insights into, well, let's just say what sort of bloke he is, because this is great cricket and it's all just about the social mm. sphere. Yeah, um, yeah. What, yeah. Sort, what sort of bloke is he, and uh, how will he be feeling heading into tomorrow or yeah. well, today? Yeah. As the listeners hear this. Yeah, well, um, well, he, he's a ripping bloke. Um, in Melbourne, there's a, an unseen comp called the Dowling Dowling Shield, um, and I was lucky enough to, to coach Pete. In, in that comp, um, albeit for half a game. I, 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 was, I was there for their first game, um, got the call up to go to New South Wales to potentially play a Shield game, went to New South Wales, um, left the boys there. They won a couple of games. They come back for the Shield game um, to coach them for the grand final, and they won. So super coach there. And um, But he was all through with their practice matches and, uh, and, and the matches. He was always second or third best batter in the side, um, but he was really classy. Um, quiet kid, respectful kid. Um, and that pretty much flowed throughout um, into where he is today. I reckon those those attributes, and uh, um, I think just his composure um, is something that's that's gotten him to where he is now. Particularly in the last couple of years, um, his maturity, um, his, his self belief without being arrogant, um, and and know, you know knowledge of his game. Really, um, he's 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 happy to sort of go for a look. He's one of those blokes who's happy just to. To go out doesn't need to drink and you know just go have a look. He, you know you don't want to be bored in the hotel room. And then um, he's actually quite a good dancer as well. He he, he dances very like Chris Rogers. Um, right. It's, uh, I'm not sure if you've seen Bucky dance apart from on stage at that Cricket Australia function one time. But um, he he's got the the feet that move out and in, and, and then he picks his shirt up from the collar every now and then. And that's to go to so, okay. um, yeah, so if he pops his collar tomorrow then that'll just be one of his dance moves yeah. yeah well but in saying that he even he even uses that move without the collar like he, you know a lot of boys nowadays I don't know anything about fashion but they don't they don't wear collars anymore so um, it's just the, uh, the round <laughs> neck and um, they're, they're pinching it up picking it up and, and away you go with a hand so away you go <laughs> Yeah, right, okay. Well, that's that. <laughs> just wondering about how people don't wear collars anymore. And he's a good bat too, so... <laughs> good bloke, good bat. Yeah. Done. Yeah. Mate, Dan, speaking of tests, uh, we should talk about your own uh, test experiences. And we ask this of every uh, test cricketer who comes on the podcast. Just what was yeah. that feeling like when you got the call-up uh, to make your debut at the Gabba and, and how it came about? Yeah, it was... Uh... I was, it was an Aussie A game, um, just finished, and uh, Johnny Inverarity um, walked me out with the SCG change rooms, and he said, let's go for a walk. Um, and What were you well, thinking was, at that time? Yeah. 
Um, I hope that he knew that I was married for starters. <laughs> um, but I was like, no, this, this can't be happening, surely. Like, is this, is this, is this going to happen? So um, went to the balcony, um, started to shake a little bit, and he said, you know, you're on, you're going up to Brisbane, um, you're on standby for, for Watson, but there's a good chance you'll play. Uh, and I said, I know, and I had a quick look around. I wanted to make sure that no one else was sort of watching, that someone was stitching me up, because I wouldn't go to that far, but I do like stitching people up as well. Um, so... Yeah. And then obviously called the family and wife and, and a couple of friends and said, you know, get up to Brizzy. Um, and then obviously the lead up was, it was a big circus for a couple of days, um, but uh, it, was, it was all worth it and, you know, had, had a really good preparation. Um, and then the, the worst thing was I didn't, I didn't bat till day three. Um, so I've been waiting and waiting. Uh, all of day two got washed out, with, which is not the worst thing sometimes with cricket. Um, Still get paid. It was, I, <laughs> Yeah, you do. You still get paid. Don't have to deal with your anxieties. Big, <laughs> Dave Hussey's a big one. Like that. His last five years, if there's any rain about, he'd say, please, I'll just bang down all day. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it was, it, was, it was one of those ones um, that, uh, the batting side, it just, it just happened too quickly, you know. Um, I didn't face too many balls. but And then the coach said it was one of the best nines he'd seen. And, but I don't know how that happened, because one of them, including a Nick, just passed third slip before. So, <laughs> of course. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I copped a bit of heat for that, even though I didn't say anything. Um, but it was, it, was, it, was, it was such a great experience, and it was, uh, the best part was, was probably to share in the, the change rooms with the, the blokes like, you know, Ponning, Hussey, Clark, Warner, um, having Wadey, Sid, Pato uh, in, in the same team as well was unbelievable. And obviously, obviously Teddy, Teddy was in his, his mo- he made a, made 100 that game as well. It's interesting because there's been a lot of press recently about um, sort of new blokes being alphaed into the team and there's obviously a whole stack of new blokes getting alphaed um, as we speak in the, in the new dressing room. I'd, I'd like to know what your experience is though being welcomed into the dressing room, Bobby. I mean, was it, was it very opening? Was it, was, it a, was it a happy experience or did you feel a little bit like you had to prove yourself before you'd even started? L- little bit of both, but the, the proving sort of things was, was nothing um, too bad. Mm. It was more that, look, I felt that I earned my chance to, to get a game, uh, albeit just a really small opportunity. You had but scored that, that so really... many runs mm. leading into it. I had, I had a good yeah. season and a half for two seasons, and mm. it was probably... Tuesday would have got a game, but I think he'd been dropped already twice, and they were in to, you know, to score a few more runs. Um, I presumed it was either him or McDonald, really, in the, after the Australia A game. Um, but blokes like Ponning and Hussey, they're the ones that will stick with me for, for you know, the rest of my life. Whether... You know, they, that's just the way they are with anyone that comes in the change rooms. But they, they, tell me, they make me feel, you know, unbelievable, those, those two games. Um, and, and I felt quite bad because I feel like, because I was batting at three, I got out cheaply that, you know, I almost ended punters career, really. Um, I got him in too early and, and, and didn't do my job. So, um, But he was, he was great. Like, you know, I think after each day's play, we had a beer. Um, and then, he, you know, he even said... Um, I got caught down leg side off off Morkel, uh, fine leg trying to pull and um, and he goes, mate, if that's your shot, don't just pull it away after after one shot. So um, he was good. He, he didn't have to say anything and and everyone else was was really accommodating. Nate Lyon and and obviously Teddy, I'd, I'd sort of known throughout the domestic side, um, but they were they were really good as well. Jeez, it's refreshing to hear a positive news story about someone's experience in the Australian cricket change room. <laughs> yeah. but, it, but it does always seem to have something in common, and that's Ricky Ponting. So, I, mean, <laughs> yeah, I, I wonder, Bobby, do, yeah. do you sense that that similar um, air or spirit of accommodation is in the Australian dressing room today? Uh, I'd be purely guessing. Um, I think sometimes the away trips are probably the hardest ones. Um, and I'm going to say that, I think, I love nothing better, even if you're with the most annoying bloke on the team, of sharing uh, an apartment or a room with someone um, and just having that shit chat, that chat about the game, chat about just stupid stuff as opposed to, you know, necessarily have... I think you've got their own rooms um, and they've got... And then now, obviously, there's partners tours and that's all well and good, but I think sometimes you miss that opportunity to just speak shit with a, a teammate, really, because then, you know, next thing you know... In, in three, four years' time, or you know, five years' time, you, you retired, and, you, and you don't get that time to speak shit with your mate. You got plenty of time to speak with your missus. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Uh, the loneliness of masculinity. So, uh, I think sometimes the away trips. I think it's a great opportunity with people with family to obviously get them over. But I think there should be some sort of um, something more there to to get, I guess, them galvanised as a group when they're when they're 
overseas and, and more inclined to hang out as a group or a couple of groups as opposed to everyone. Just, it just sounds like I think there might be one or two clicks with the regulars, but um, whether there's you know there's there's not enough people going out and I don't know getting pissed or, or doing what they need to. But as I said, I I don't know that might be happening, but um, it just seems like that at the moment. Bobby, it's something I've, I've, that Sam touched on before, and it's something I've, I've often thought um, in your career. I wonder if it sort of grinds you a little bit that your career has been, for, for a lot of people, just um, simplified almost just to two test matches, when, as you said before, you had a, a really, really big couple of years there. In fact, you were the Australian Domestic Player of the Year in 2000, uh, 2011, also the Bill Laurie medalist. I mean, you did, you'd score a stack of runs, and as you say, you fully earned your spot. Does it grind you a little bit that to the Australian public that perhaps your career has been reduced to only two test matches rather than just a, a fantastic first-class career as well? Uh, no, nah, it doesn't grind me at all. My, my biggest thing is, is a bit of a bittersweet moment my Australian career because um, I felt like that I'd had so much support from so many people that had meant a lot to me that mm. um, when I did get a go, and, and I, I think I, I nearly got a fair enough go, if I, if I had have made... Um, you know, 30 and, and 20 in that, in that second game, whether that was, you know, whether that means that I didn't fall so low in the, in the ranking straight after that. But mm-hmm. I felt like I let a lot of people down. Um, and a lot of those people would say, no, you didn't, you did as proud. But, you know, the longer it goes, you become that bloke who finished on a pair or um, the bloke who averaged three at the moment, which, you know, which is, which is true. But um, it, it does take a little bit of gloss away from that I was lucky enough, and, and as you said, I, I earned the chance to represent Australia. Mm. Um, but as I said, it's a, it's a bit of bit of sweet. Um, but yeah, it, it's a weird one. I think I think I sort of changed my opinion of it. You know, each year um, and each time you an Australia home series comes on, you have your own thoughts, and you know, you, you, I think to now Cal Ferguson, who's mm. had the, the the one Test match, and he's worked. I think he's been playing Shield cricket for fourteen years, mm. and. Um, got his chance, and then all of a sudden, because the team's in, you know, disarray, he, you know, he's part of the collateral, unfortunately. Um, and to think, you know, that you put that same question to him now, same question to him in six months, in a year, in three years, um, it'd be interesting to see his answers, particularly if he if he doesn't play another test. That's that's completely insightful. I think that's great. Mm, yeah. <laughs> um, Bobby, we'll move Probably on to the... Serious, though, isn't it? No, no, no. We'll light not... things up now. <laughs> <laughs> not at all. I mean, for what it's worth, I think those people who advised you that uh, you shouldn't think like that were right. You know, so that on behalf of the boys, um, you played for Australia. Uh, Bobby, so we will move into the throwdowns section of the show, which is a little bit lighter, uh, where we just ask you silly questions that are probably more about us selfishly than you, uh, and you try and answer them as quickly as you can. So I'll, I'll kick no us worries. off if that's okay. Uh, so, Bobby, in the famous Cadditch Chokes Clark episode, Andrew McDonald famously diffused the situation by saying this happens all the time at the Vicks. Did you choke anyone in the Victorian dressing room? And if so, tell us everything. Um, I, I choked one. Does it have to be a person? <laughs> uh, no. I don't know where I you're going with it. Continue. And, and I got choked. <laughs> but, oh, 10 seconds is up. Sorry. <laughs> There's the lead article on Fox Sports tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Look, Bobby, do you, do you ever wonder how many runs you could have made against the South Africans if they weren't tampering the ball? <laughs> yeah, yep. Particularly in that last set, in the second test in Adelaide, the ball was reversing. I, I reckon I probably would have got, you know, back-to-back hundreds, really. <laughs> That's a cold case. They need to open that. But instead, of, instead of getting two hundreds, I got two pairs. So it was either one or the other. <laughs> Bobby, in a big bash game against the Perth Scorchers at the MCG, Adam Voges struck a well-timed pull shot into a seagull. You then picked up the seagull, and it miraculously came back to life. Was this the first time you realised you had a gift with birds? Uh, <laughs> no. Um, and, and that same thing happened in the, in the tool match just gone. Someone hit a seagull, and then everyone said that I should go over and fix it. Um, and I asked for a box to put it in, and then it flew away again. So, um, yeah, there's something going on with me, seagulls, or birds, and at the MCG. So. <laughs> something going on there. There's definitely something yeah. going on. Uh, Bobby, there's a couple of unnamed Victorian cricketers, both at club and state level, who've submitted some questions to me. Um, so just a straight true or false, and I'm not sure if it's a stitch up from them uh, or not, but true or false... Uh, do you sometimes just turn up to a game when you're not playing to shower with the boys? True. <laughs> what drives that motive? Um, well, I think more and more with women's cricket 
um, being involved. All the facilities are being uh, like cubicled off. Um, and, and, and I think it's one part of the game that's, that's lacking now, that it's in the shower and just, and just thaws everyone up. So um, yeah, I think it just makes you feel better and in my case worse sometimes um, but just but, that everyone's, everyone's different <laughs> it makes you feel sometimes better and sometimes worse yeah. oh, so relatable um, who has who has or had the worst chat in any dressing room you've ever been in uh, well he hasn't played or he's played one shield game Ian Holland um, his chat is, is horrendous um, let me try and think Dan Christian, if he's had two espresso martinis, is um, painful. Um, espresso martinis in the change room—is that a regular <laughs> occurrence? Well, when yeah, well, we're lucky enough to win two Shield titles, so that's why they just snuck in. <laughs> Alfred, um, <laughs> Alfred, at every turn. Just wondering who's making those. And Scotty, Scotty, Scotty Boland. Scotty Boland looks like he doesn't say much, but when when he says stuff, it's putrid. So um, yeah, that's they're, they're probably the, the re- everyone really. You know what? The whole side just speaks shit, and that's what's great about it. <laughs> uh, on, on that note, something from one of those sides was uh, to ask you, uh, Bobby, uh, about your chest hair. Apparently, you're extraordinarily hairy. Just comment, please. Um, not just my chest. It's my back. Um, everywhere, pretty much, except my head. Um, and I was bored enough one and, and bold enough uh, one year to shave the Puma logo into it. Um, so, <laughs> I, I think I did it maybe four, four years ago. I'm sure it's out there somewhere. Um, but so there's, there's stuff to work with. Um, but yeah, it's pretty hairy. I think I think a lot of people are talking about Cato being the hairiest bloke, but I, I think I'm on heavy. Does he have more on the forearms than you? But yeah, he's got more. He, him, yeah. Ricky Ponning, and Glenn Maxwell. Are, um, they're they're massive on their forearms, yeah. but I think I might have them everywhere else. Bobby, you faced 22 balls in Test cricket. Which one was yep. your favourite? Uh, I'd probably say the first one. Yeah. Because as I was facing shot, saying, yeah, yeah I, I, I said, you know, come on, let's let's watch the ball hard, um, watch the ball hard, uh, play straight, and it was short, and I pulled it because uh, <laughs> I thought I just didn't think I'd be I'd be onto a, a, a you know to play a pull shot first up against uh, someone like Stain. So mm. um, to get that and, and get your first Test run over and done with. Um, was pretty satisfying. Um, and then the rest is a blur. Bobby, are you the only player in the history of Australian cricket who has bowled for your country but not for your club? <laughs> yes. 20, <laughs> 25 overs, none for 28. Can I just ask how nervous you'd be? Because like, I've bowled in a game before and I was the most nervous I've ever been. Um, yep. Like in a test match scenario, there's probably more people watching than in the fourth grade um, round four match that I played in when I bowled. Um, it must have been probably. petrifying to get the ball down the other end. I, I think it's exactly the same whether you're playing fourth grade or, or test match. And even if it, you come on and you're, you're opening bat, you barely bowl, hmm. um, and the captain goes, here, have a bowl. If you land your first one roughly in an area, that's, that's goal. If you miss that spot, you're rooted. So I think I was lucky enough to land in an okay spot and uh, and kept going from there. Just about 25 um, yeah, hours in test matches. I, I, think, I think there was also a couple of batters who just didn't want to get out to me as well. So yeah. that might have had something to do with it. <laughs> well, Bobby, we really appreciate your time coming on the Great Cricketer podcast. Literally called you earlier today and uh, you were good enough to put yourself up to the show. Uh, I, I think you've also stood true to what everyone says, which is you're one of the great people uh, of cricket. So uh, just on behalf of the boys, we're wishing you all the best uh, in, in your endeavours um, to return to that Victorian side with Dan Christian and drink espresso martinis with him. <laughs> um, race, yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, um, but, but if not, all the best with St Kilda as well. And uh, we'd love to see you on the show down the track. Yeah, that'd be great. Thanks again, guys. And as I said, it's a, it's a privilege to be on the show. Thanks, Bobby. Cheers, Bobby. Big day. No, big night. I've got to clean up the last two wickets, sing the song, do the covers, sing the song, drink 42 beers in the sheds, have a shower, sing the song, publicly objectify my teammates' ribs, compare sizes, tell everyone how good I was when I was 17, go to a strip club, lie to my wife, then spend all of Sunday being an emotionally absent father and husband. (sighs) Big nights start with grade cricket. Lying to yourself has never been harder. Well, I'm not sure if he caught this during the week, but Brian Lara was happened to be down in the Hunter Valley uh, over uh, during the week, and uh, some of the boys from the local pub team, the Division Five side uh, from from Newcastle, C and S, 
D5 side. Happened to be down the pub. I think it was probably Wednesday afternoon, so why wouldn't they be at work or anything? Um, Brian, La- They saw Brian Lara. They thought, <laughs> we're going to sign him up. Uh, Brian Lara was apparently very receptive, and uh, he, he read a contract. He signed the contract. Those boys then uh, submitted that to the governing body of the competition, and he is now a registered player for uh, this C&S side for the Division 5 Hunter Valley League. Um, it's a nice little story, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, what a feel-good story. He goes, I mean, just great to hear that. A test cricketer turning out for a Hunter Valley side. I think, although I dare say he might struggle with a step down. I remember, you know, being a great cricketer Mm. myself, I'd often fill in for for inferior mates teams at club level Mm. and I'd be on Astro Mm. and, you know, a 53-year-old bank manager would be bowling, you know, 80-kilometre outswingers. And I'd get out for a duck inevitably. And then I would always caveat that by saying, I'm used to playing on turf, (laughs) used to playing blokes 130K plus. So I wonder... How Lara will will deal with the step down from facing you know Wakar Yunus Wazimakram some of the greats yeah. and then facing James from accounts. <laughs> you, you you can't win. I've always maintained that. I've always said that. And I think each of us who've had experience playing at grade level or whatnot. I, well, I don't know about you actually, but I really struggle to play hybrid games of cricket, even if it's in the backyard or mm-hmm. even if, if it's at Christmas and the family's like, "Oh, come and have a bat, Sam." I don't know how to manage that situation because you're right. the cricketer mm-hmm. in your family, and yeah. you, you know you see the ball from the six-year-old niece outside off stump, and it's full. <laughs> yeah. What do you do? Yeah. Do you start hitting catches? That's condescending. Yeah. Mm. Do you pump it for four? That's a bit rude. Mm. <laughs> what do you do? Do you, do you sort of stroke it around mm. for one? I've never managed yeah. it, and if you get out, it's the most humiliating thing yeah. in your life. And I was like, "Oh, you actually can't play the." game and then your face goes red and yeah. you, you're like I, can't I play the game this is actually really anxious for me it's like when Zoe Goss got out Brian Lara in that uh, in that friendly fixture and then everyone was like oh Brian you got out to a girl or whatever mm. and yeah that was kind of the exact same thing that we're talking about. <laughs> I, I think this could be a great tourism boon for the Hunter Valley I mean sure. you know Tasmania has Mona and a winery tour you know the Hunter Valley will now have you know Cheese and wineries and Lara on Saturdays. So you can get the whole spectrum on your weekend to the Hunter Valley. On the other hand, it could. I'm just trying to think about the actual scene where Lara's sitting in a pub, probably minding his own business yeah. or having fun or what, whatever he's doing with friends mm. in the Hunter Valley. Certainly. And in, in walks some uh, likely lads from Newcastle. Mm. Their first thought is, let's sign him up to our cricket team. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, and. and uh, Maybe not like, hello, Brian, how are you? Hope you're having a good time. We admire you. you know, come and play for our team. Imagine what the lads will think about that. I'm thinking Lara is like the guy that sees a busker and goes, like, what do I have to give you to stop? Yeah. <laughs> you know, he just signs it. Yeah, give it, whatever. Please leave me alone. And you just know that when he does turn up and he's like, yeah, all right, I'm going along with this. Now I have to spend eight hours with these guys. Yeah, that's the problem. Eight hours. Like, this guy scored 500 in a first-class match. Like, he'll score 1,000 if he needs to. Hmm. Just to just to avoid the chat in the dressing room, <laughs> boys. I'm not sure if you guys uh, if you guys saw this, but uh, there was also a story where uh, former Test cricketers Shane Warne, Kevin Peterson, Michael Slater those mm. those names might sound familiar to you, mm. um, especially for our uh, Australian listeners. Um, they were filming a video in the car. Apparently, Mark Taylor and um, Ian Healy were driving the car. So it's just like when you think of like those guys hanging out, that's the exact dynamic of it. Isn't Nerds it? in the front with the seat. Back <laughs> yeah, exactly. The likely lads in the back, you know, backseat bandits. But, uh, but they were filmed without wearing a seatbelt and this got picked up by the Tasmanian police uh, in a statement, the authority said, Tasmanian police remind motorists that seatbelts save lives and urge drivers to insist that passengers buckle up too. So they were all fined $300 not wearing a seatbelt. Mm-hmm. It was a Facebook Live thing that Warren was doing to his fans uh, and they picked it up live as well. <laughs> right. We've got to put seatbelts on. So they kind of incriminated themselves in yeah, a way. Yeah, yeah. Uh, th- that Just Warney getting it wrong on social media again. <laughs> well... <laughs> Someone asked Warren, you know, jovially in the car whether he'd had any success on Tinder in Tasmania, and he said, nope, not yet, and KB said, that's a lie, that's a lie. So, I mean, that was the sort of the, my favourite part of the uh, Facebook Live video that I watched four times. I just wonder what other laws these guys are casually breaching. I mean, we've just seen one Facebook Live video where they happen to not be wearing seatbelts. I mean, these blokes, what, what are they, jaywalking? Are they forgetting to tap yeah. on and off with their mikeys? I like that you wonder that. What other casual laws? What else can we pin them for? Yeah. Yeah. Revenue raising. <laughs> Boys, ask TGC. It's come around again. Your questions. You can get us on the Twitter machine with the hashtag AskTGC. You can get us on Facebook if you need to. Twitter is better. (laughs) Tony Ogden at TOgden01 writes or asks, Hey, grade cricketer, is this even a question? ESPN Crick Info article says, Should you judge a player by his gear? 
Well, the obvious answer is yes. Well, I haven't read the article, but yes, yes, a thousand times, yes. <laughs> it's, it's fascinating to me how many people now just buy all matching kit to look sponsored because, I mean, and, and that being normal, like that's just, it's just part of the uniform now, whereas like maybe 10 years ago, it was kind of like, like unless you were actually sponsored, no one's matching up the to, kit. To, to brands, are they aware of this? Like if 100%. you walk into a cricket store, is there like a mannequin with all the Grey Nichols kit on it so you can just get the whole, everything that's on the mannequin straight up? <laughs> it's not, there should be. I'm just wondering what the, 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 the interior designers or whatever the word is for that, merchandise yeah. apparel people. Yeah. Well, we actually are and, and we have been trying to reach out to Harry Solomons of King Grove Sports and Harry, if you are listening out there, we'd love love to have you uh, into the studio or onto the show to and explain some, to us and some free yep. kit. Yeah, <laughs> and also can have some gloves. <laughs> Got to ask Rob Carney that. Bobby, can we have some gloves? Tr says in the last round of the season, I ran my brother out. Then, as captain, dropped him for the first week of finals. I went on to hit sixty nine plus win game. Yet my brother and mum didn't talk to me for a week. Were they justified doing so? <laughs> I like how the mum also didn't want to talk to you for a week. A late character entry. A bridge yeah. in the family. Oh, let your brother play. Let him play. I he ran him out after all. Was, I think, was it his younger brother or his older brother? Does he specify? That's, yeah, no, he just says brother. Older brother can take care of himself. If it's a younger brother, hmm. then I've got qualms. Ultimate alpha power play. It's hard to lead. I sympathise with the question, and I think a mother should do much better than ostracise the son for running out the younger brother. I have a younger brother, and he got the the way all the time. You can't tell me that Steve Waugh, though, wouldn't have done that with Mark Waugh Mm. and Danny Waugh. No, I can't. (laughs) I won't. I I do question him sort of writing to us about it. Deal it with your family. Mm. Keep it in-house. Yeah, this is Andrew O'Sullivan via Facebook. Uh, and this is the last question for Ask TGC this week. He says, I've nicknamed my girlfriend Boof. She's American and thinks it's a cute form of boofhead and is unaware of my adoration for Darren Lehman. A, do I have a problem? And B, can I ever tell her? Well, the answer is yes, you do have a problem because you've got an adoration for a coach, mm. a cricket coach. Mm. Um, which is uh, unusual and unnatural, in my opinion. Can to I try ever... and conflate that with your mm. girlfriend as well, to, mm. to name your girlfriend the name of a middle, middle-aged mm. coach? I mean, Pez, there's nothing good about this, is there? I mean, nicknaming her short for boofhead. Uh, I mean, it's, is, is, that a, is that a cute, acceptable, cute little uh, pet name? Even the assonance of the word boof mm. to say mm. doesn't sound... I mean, uh, they, you can never tell her because then, you know, she will read into this as the serious psychological thing <laughs> that it is. Next thing you know, you'll be in couples therapy and the, the psychologist will be exploring all sorts of Freudian themes mm. and mm. you don't know, you can't go anywhere from there. And then you're wasting Saturday on the field and Sunday couples therapy. Mm. So you guys, you whole weekend, so don't do that. Yeah, yeah. 120 an hour keep, as well, it's tough. <clears throat> yeah. Keep calling her boof though. <laughs> By all means. Good luck with the relationship. Yeah, and life. Well, that's about all time. Well, you have four lads this week on the Grey Cricketer Podcast. Uh, it's great to have Rob Quiney with us, uh, and uh, we look forward to the third test, which starts uh, today. And to all the people who make the show happen, obviously, a big thank you to you guys. We'll catch you next week.